0: Casting from the cradle of liberty in Philadelphia,
1: like all the way to the rhythm and blues of Beale Street in Memphis,
0: to high atop the Wasatch Mountains in Utah. This is where politically correct perception meets common sense. This is the Joe Carey Show. Hope you don't, say-
1: Welcome to The Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in once again for Joe. And once again, my good friend Suzanne Sherman joins me. Hello, Suzanne.
2: Hello, how are you today?
1: I am, I was going to say, well, I'm adequate. Ask well, me tomorrow make- and I'll be better than adequate because it'll be a Friday. But how about you? How are you doing?
2: Well, You've had a long week. You're doing double duty over here.
1: I am, but uh, it's a labor of love. And, and I think you get this because I get the impression, you correct me if I'm wrong, but I get the impression that... You write and you speak out on the things you do because it's more than just a hobby and more, just to, more than just to hear yourself talk. There's probably some, some purpose that drives you to speak out. Would I be right in assuming that?
2: Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think the fundamental complaint I have with the mainstream media outlets, first of all, yeah, am I a little jealous these people get up there and get it all wrong and get paid tens of millions of dollars to do so? You know, these people are paid to keep it pleasant and to keep people in their comfort zone or what Tom Woods calls the three by five index card of allowable opinion. I get nothing, but I keep it real. And that's what we're trying to instill in people, a sense of, well, what's real and what what is um, – What is a practical solution for the problems facing us? And that's really a follow-up of our conversation we had with Congressional Hopeful for District 2, Mary Burkett, the other day. You know, we tried to give her the benefit of the doubt and say, we think that you're coming from a good place, but please don't use the statement constitutional conservative when you're doing that, because this is really what we refer to as the Lincolnian America, not the America that came about in 1776.
1: Now, I know that uh, you felt like there was some unfinished business, uh, and in time, Time constraints, unfortunately, you know, the the opportunity to talk to her longer was was out the window. But what were some of the the pieces of unfinished business that uh, that we didn't get to or questions that you didn't get satisfactorily answered?
2: Well, I I think that, you know, obviously the the inconsistencies of the platform is something that she's going to need to address again. I think she's coming from a well-intentioned place. But on her, for instance, on her website, it shows that we need to put the federal government in its place with regards to federal land and states' rights, yet her statement with regards to the Tenth Amendment and law enforcement completely contradicts that. So that, I asked her about her contradictions there, and we really didn't get the answers. And just to to refresh the memory, uh, this is what she said, while I am a firm believer in the Tenth Amendment and states' rights, I believe that government and law enforcement at all levels must work together to enforce the law. Anarchy rules when we are allowed to pick and choose what laws to follow. Success comes from working together. So here's my problem. My problem is I want to know what, when do we put the federal government in its place and when don't we? Clearly she's on track with regards to public lands. But local law enforcement, the, the example she used was facilitating the city of Chicago's officials coming together to the table. Now, if she doesn't think duly elected representatives and a large city like Chicago are capable of managing their own affairs, what does she think about the unwashed masses of us as individuals, how capable we are of managing our own lives?
1: Well, I see this disconnect with a lot of different candidates, though. So I, I just want to make clear, like like you are making, this is not we're not we're not trying to hang this all on on Mary. This is you know not just she's the only one who's standing out here. Most candidates seem to lack that basic understanding. Let me give you an example. Um, there's I'm not I'm not going to name this guy's name because uh, he's running for uh, the gubernatorial race here in in Utah, or at least he's gearing up to challenge. Um, Whomever. I don't think Herbert is running again in Utah, but uh, he calls himself a constitutional conservative Republican. And I can see you cringing even as I say that. But his fundamental belief is that people and personal freedom, not government, is what makes Utah stand apart from the rest of the nation. And this is his quote. He says, when people are free, they make the best lives lives for themselves and they can change the world. And uh, look, I don't know much more about this candidate, but I think as far as a starting point, that's a pretty good message. If you stand for the freedom of individuals to live their lives free of unnecessary government burden, let's talk.
2: I, I concur wholeheartedly, and I hope that the first order of business he would do if elected is uh, make sure that the states have to get rid of this ridiculous imposition of rules, such as I just did a show about dandelions on the lawns. Now, I am all for local representation and thinking locally, acting locally, to paraphrase Brian McClanahan. But you have to think about who the people are that are making these laws, particularly vis-a-vis these municipal areas. They cite concern for uniformity and deep decreasing property values. So you get members on councils that are actually seeking their own property interests, as opposed to what Frederick Bastiat says in his book, The Law, what the real role of government, the uh, the lawful role of government should be protecting life, liberty, and property. That doesn't mean their own.
1: No, agreed. Agreed. Uh, listen, if you'd like to join the conversation, you can do so. I keep forgetting. We have a phone number. Suzanne Sherman is my guest. 801- Three three one eighty one thirteen. I I love it. Uh, Suzanne, you know how to rile people in, in just the right way. And, and so um, let's talk a little bit about, you had sent me an article earlier today, um, Why Don't Conservatives Follow Their Own Constitution? That's a provocative title. Let's, let's talk about it.
2: Well, they're the ones, as we as we realize, and again, just to clarify, we are not attacking any particular candidate, but when comes across my stream and I hear something as repugnant to funding principles as that one on the 10th Amendment, I decided to dig in a little deeper. But again, this is not a woman that's a rhino. This is somebody that is a quintessential uh, poster child of the Republican Party. And what I like to say is, you know, we don't have left and right when we're talking about big government. If you look at government on the left-right spectrum as fascism, totalitarian regimes on the far left and anarchy on the far right, then you can put the progressives of either party on the left. They are both for big government. And that's what this article talks about. Why don't they follow their own constitution? Again, what we have is conservatives saying we didn't like what Obama did. But as long as Trump is doing it or we've got somebody with an R, we like tyranny as long as it has an R before or after it.
1: And, you know, that's exactly the catalyst That started my own um, transformation from being a Republican conservative to being, um, I don't know what you would call me. I mean, look, some people would just say troublemaker. I like to think of myself as a problem solver, but I realized I wasn't really a conservative when after all the years of Bill Clinton and hearing conservatives stand for, you know, constitutional limited government, blah, blah, blah. George W. Bush gets elected. And, and for a while, it looked like, yeah, finally we have someone who's going to exercise some restraint Here comes 9-11, and it goes right out the window. And that's when I realized, you have a choice to make, Brian. You can either go along with the crowd for the sake of ease, or you can part company with so-called polite society.
2: And uh, Mike Meharry, we were talking a a little bit yesterday uh, about the the uh, cameras. We'll get into that a little bit later in that park where that gal was kidnapped and murdered here in Salt Lake City. And they are substituting now fake cameras for real ones. And he's involved in a lawsuit against Lexington, Kentucky, because they have installed surveillance cameras. And when he sought. Uh, an explanation for why they're doing this, what purpose, he's getting sued. There's a section in this article here that we mentioned called the heart of a status, and it goes as follows. While those on the left of the political spectrum certainly play the Constitution card when it suits their purposes, it is their counterparts on the right who who own it most vociferously. The problem is it's rhetoric. When it comes down to it, most participants in either party are statists at heart.
1: And, and that's determined by their actions, right? Not just by, by their rhetoric. I mean, they may be m- giving lip service to it, especially around election time. But the way you tell what a person is really about is you look at their actions because that will always speak louder than what they're saying.
2: Well, look at constitutional, uh, self-proclaimed conservative Ted Cruz says he's an, or- he's an originalist. Yet when Obama was in office, he chided Obama administration for not enforcing federal, unconstitutional federal marijuana laws
1: yeah we saw the same thing here in Utah with Orrin Hatch in all the years that he was senator. you know he'd I'm here to stand up for the Constitution I'm here to stand up for for states' rights and then you know he would come home and tell us why well, it has to be this way because that's the way things are done, even though it's totally in contravention to the constitution and and in fact, that's what got Bob Bennett tossed out of office back in twenty ten he he seriously went on my radio show for instance and told us in so many words you guys are too dumb to understand how this all works
2: well that's the thing they think that somehow i mentioned this the other day they're somehow raised in a colony or dropped off from someplace where they're fed some sort of royal jelly which makes them uh, miraculously more capable of managing local affairs than we are remember now there was a point when we went to war to protect our right to govern ourselves. Whatever happened to that? What happened to that mindset? Where are the Sam Adams? Where are the John Hancocks? Where are the Thomas Paines? Where are the Patrick Henry's?
1: Here, here. Well, you're asking all the right questions. We've got to take a quick break. Suzanne Sherman is my guest. This is the Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde filling in for Joe and we will be back just the other side of these messages. Welcome back to the Joe Carey Show. This is Brian Hyde filling in for Joe. I have Suzanne Sherman guest hosting with me today, and we have Sam joining us on the telephone from Missouri. Hey, Sam.
0: Hey. Uh, good to hear you, Suzanne. Uh, I always love to hear you when you're on the show. Uh, my comment is this, and that is one of the things that we never hear about from any of these people. I don't care which side of the aisle it is on, that it comes from, and that is nobody is running a, a, a campaign under the banners of uh, the right to be left alone.
2: You're absolutely correct. Somebody told me the other day, Well, Suzanne, why don't you run for office? Because I would go on a campaign of vote for me and I'll never show up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you know, we always, uh, I run a, a, a station out here where we carry this broadcast, and I have one of the things that always plays at the top of every hour. It says, there are those who just want to be left alone and those who just won't leave them alone which one are you and that's a, and that's i don't want that to become just a cliche i want people to really think about that uh and that is do we want somebody uh in office who says i'm just going to leave the american people alone and do only what is absolutely minimally necessary to um you know, to make government work. Because I re- I remember reading history before the War of Northern Aggression, and there was a time when people never really had any uh, reason to interface with the federal government directly. I think from from what I was able to glean that uh, about the only interface that people had with the government at all in any capacity was the Postal Service, and the rest of it was just uh, either the, the state or local
2: governments at that time. No, absolutely. In, in fact, it would be, according to the Constitution as ratified, considered perfectly acceptable if the majority of the population didn't even know who the president of these United States was. Now, we're pulling off hats that are the wrong color if it has the wrong phrase. People are assaulting each other. They've got bumper stickers, you know, castigating the other side. We've, we've lost our minds.
0: We're becoming a very militant country on both sides, on the uh, on the quote-unquote conservative side. And I use that term almost sarcastically anymore, because most people don't even know what a conservative is. And I'm seeing it all over the place. So all you got to do is watch some of the blogs that conservatives write, just like the blogs that the collectivists write. And I use that term very carefully, because everyone wants to call them liberals. They're not liberals. A liberal is somebody who just minds their own business and leaves other people alone, and they're not out there trying to rule everybody. That, that, in my estimation, is a true liberal.
2: Well, I think the usurpation of the traditional meaning of words has really gone a long way to help foster this problem that we have, you know, national, federal, The going back to the debate itself, the Federalists versus the Anti-Federalists. The Federalists were the Nationalists, and the Nationalists were the two Federalists. We're so convoluted, we don't even know what we're arguing for.
0: Yeah, so what we have is a cat fight that is going to manifest itself if we keep going into all-out war, and then there'll be somebody who'll come in on their "quote-unquote" white horse to save the day, and there won't be uh, anything that uh, most people think that it will be. That's and, what and, I see coming,
2: and that's what happens. You know, the general government assumes responsibilities that they deem the states in in um, capable of handling on their own. Case in point: the Migratory Bird Act. And, you know, clearly the founders knew that birds flew across state borders. If they wanted migratory birds to be a power delegated to the general government, they would have put it in there. It's just one more ex- egregious example of the excuses they make to come up with their expansion at the cost of the state sovereignty.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's all I got, Suzanne. Thank you so much for your contributions. and. uh in fact, uh, uh, we're actually picking your show up off of servers network, too, now and carrying it out here. So I appreciate everything you're doing. I always love it when you appear on Brian's show or any place we hear you.
2: Well, I'm delighted. Please send me a message uh, on Facebook or on my email. Brian can get it to you so I can make a mention on our shows. I really appreciate that.
0: I sure will. And God bless you, and take care, and you too, Brian.
1: Hey, thank you, Sam. Great to hear from you. 801 331 is the number. Suzanne, the article that you shared with me, and this will be posted, by the way, in the show notes on the podcast, Why Don't Conservatives Follow Their Own Constitution? There's a section in this article that talks about constitutional questions for conservatives. And I feel like this is a really good place to start because, uh, as your conversation with Mary a, a couple of days ago shows, there are questions that, that a lot of candidates don't get asked And it's mainly because people don't know how to frame the question. It's not a game of gotcha. It's uh, trying to ascertain, do they really understand the limits of government? For instance, you know, how many candidates are ever asked, can you name any departments or programs not specifically authorized in the state or the national constitution? And, uh, you know, what what are you willing to do about it?
2: And the answer is typically crickets. You know, again, yeah. it's the, the states are, in, are, are incapable of handling this. I have to go back to the example of Chicago. The example was Chicago is in chaos. And I said, well, what business of that is yours? <laughs> because law enforcement has to come together at all three levels of government. If we don't have the federal government involved somehow – notwithstanding the fact that we have municipal county and state governments three count them three already existing levels of government breathing down the citizens of Chicago state of, of you know their citizens throats we're going to have anarchy anarchy is the absence <laughs> of government if there is a place that we have anarchy point it out on the map cuz i'm hopping in my rv and i'm going
1: <laughs> well and and people who break down the uh, the the root words of anarchy. It, it literally means without ruler. That doesn't mean that you're without rules. It doesn't mean that you don't self-govern or spontaneously cooperate. People do that all the time. Uh, the best example I can think of is anybody who drove anywhere today probably encountered traffic as they were driving, even if you live in a rural area. How did you safely get to where you were going and how did these other drivers get safely where they were going? Yeah, there are traffic laws, but nobody told you, put on your turn signal here and turn, go get a donut, go gas up your car, go to the grocery store, go to work. You had to make all those decisions yourself, and you did in such a way that you cooperated with the other drivers, and it worked.
2: You might even do something as crazy as purchasing gasoline on the way, and some states won't let you do that yourself. Or you might have a business interaction without the government telling you how to do it. Yeah, they have those regulations, but they don't tell us how to interact with each other. And we seem to have forgotten the fact that we should be doing this from the bottom level up.
1: By the way, that's another good question for a candidate. And I mean at any level. If you ask that, that candidate, is operating any local business for profit a privilege for which a citizen should apply for a permit paying a fee or tax? And then, depending on their answer, ask them, would you favor any changes in this regard? It'll tell you a lot about what they understand about what government should or shouldn't be doing. But be prepared. Justification will often be forthcoming when you ask that kind of question.
2: You know, we have an issue with federalism and state sovereignty. For instance, Utah now allowing medical marijuana with results, uh, you know, with regards to Prop 2. But the feds still say with their ATF Form 4473 that if you use it legally or otherwise, you are not allowed to purchase a firearm. I would ask anybody running for state or congressional office, what do you what do you support? Do you think that this is okay?
1: No, it's exactly and, and I had such a great conversation, thanks to you, with uh, Mike Meharry from the 10th Amendment Center yesterday. We talked about nullification, and one of the examples he gave of what nullification looks like is the fact that there are at least 33 states now that allow for medical use of cannabis in spite of the fact that the federal government insists it's illegal no matter what, anytime, anywhere.
2: Yeah, they do, and that is nullification in effect. Nullification is not something that died after the Virginia and Kentucky resolutions. This is active. And states also seeking nullification with regards to abortion, with regards to marriage licenses, whatever, that is possible. If it is not a delegated power to the general government, it remains with the states. Any law that goes beyond those limits is de facto unlawful.
1: Let's come back to this. I want, I want to pick your brain a little bit on, so how can we be sure? Because, you know, there are emanations and penumbras or so I've heard that, uh, you know, sometimes the Supreme Court can see things we can't. But how can an average person like me know what government is actually supposed to be doing versus what it isn't? We'll touch on that when we come back. Suzanne Sherman is my guest. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe Kerry today. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome back to The Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe. I have Suzanne Sherman joining me today. And Suzanne, you have a website. Let's take a moment here to plug your website because I want people to know that uh, not only do you speak on the radio, but um, you're quite a writer, too. And you have some very worthwhile articles that I think people would find uh, great for, you know, loading up some philosophical ammunition.
2: Thank you. It's SuzanneCSherman.com. And you can uh, find all of my published articles there as well as on the social media bar. We have a SoundCloud and a YouTube button there and you can listen to my radio shows and i'm absolutely delighted that sam said they picked them up that's that's quite an honor so i'm I'm thrilled to hear that i also have some blogs more on preparedness and homesteading i'm actually going to write one about our interaction with the local politician out here again nobody's attacking anybody but these are some principles that really need to be addressed so i also have my own radio networks the cerberus radio network c-e-r-b-e-r U.S., and we do shows, and you can hear us on SoundCloud as well. So thank you for that. Okay. What a time we live
1: in. You know, people people like you and me used to be constrained to just, uh, you know, writing angry letters to the editor. <laughs> However often they would let, once a month is all, we'll publish your letter, Mr. Hyde. But uh, now the technology is such. Um, I'm broadcasting from home. You are broadcasting from home. Um, you can be published nationwide, worldwide. It's just a matter of being willing to stick your neck out. But you don't want to do that unless you have a fairly good idea of what you're talking about. And that's uh, to that end, we're talking about the things that we're discussing today. How can how can a person know what the the constitutional limits or for that matter the proper limits of government are at either the state, local or federal level? What what are your ideas, Suzanne?
2: Well, with regards to our system, because, again, you talked about having to know know what you're saying. Go to the mainstream media if you want to hear people that don't know what they're saying. This is all the very much of a national nationalist perspective. But ask yourself, what makes sense when you want to decide whom you think is a credible resource or not? Ask yourself what they are saying, and does that make sense? Would 13 sovereign and independent nations, meaning the states— create a general government, which the result would be they surrendered their sovereignty when they went to war for a system whereby they could have local representation. The treaty, King George addressed them individually. Article 7 of the Constitution explains clearly that the states ratified this document. So why would they surrender matters? Never delegated social policy issues such as firearms, such as marriage, policy issues such as gun control, medical care. Why would they surrender that to a general government? Migratory birds. I was in violation of a federal law because some sand cranes dumped some feathers in my yard and I was supposed to dispose of them. Just for spite, I think I held on to those things for a year. <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> but, but you have to care enough about understanding these things to be willing to dig deep. In other words, um, it's one thing to sit there and repeat sound bites. And I think a lot of us have kind of been trained. Well, you know, it's easier for me to speak in bumper sticker slogans, Suzanne, than it is for me to, to actually do the research. If you really want to understand, I'm sorry, there's no getting around. You have to be willing to pay the price. Read the fine print. Now, you're an attorney, so you've been trained in how to do this. For those of us who are non-attorneys, that can be a significant sacrifice.
2: I submit to you that my battle was harder because I'm an attorney. We are we get the benefit of three more years of indoctrination (laughs) and law schools know better. In fact, I would have to say it's worse because it cranks out people with law degrees that now, for whatever reason, have um, more respect when it comes to seeking knowledge about the Constitution. They don't deserve it because what happens in law school is we are not taught constitutional history. This morning, you were talking about self-education. That's how I got my knowledge. I read books by like Kevin Goodsman, Tom Woods, who killed the Constitution. They came up with a great book together. You have to go outside the traditional institutions of, shall we say, higher learning, because law schools train lawyers on the one united state of america the whole state sovereignty is just a dead letter for instance when it comes to bar review when we are taught there's a multiple choice day and there's there are two answers to choose from out of four one is going to be the 10th amendment being the right answer the other is the 14th amendment i kid you not they will tell you for purposes of expediency go with the 14th amendment because it is always correct if i were to sit for a bar exam right now and answer the questions presented from a constitutionally accurate perspective, I would fail.
1: Wow. In spite of knowing the correct answers.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the article, you can find it on my website. It's called The Problem with Lawyers and the Constitution. Donald Livingston himself asked me to write it, and the Abbeville Institute published it, and that was just an extreme honor to have him. Uh, not only ask, but like the product that I turned out.
1: Now, I, I know that it's risky in, in calling people or uh, I shouldn't say calling them out, but holding people accountable. And you you were holding Mary's feet to the fire uh, the other day. I know you had uh, you had a statement or you had an idea that you wanted to, to pursue today that uh, for for our LDS listeners might sting a little bit. But I think it's a really I think this is a relevant question And I'm I'm going to encourage you, would you stick your neck out, please, and and share that, that question with them?
2: Yeah, what I'll do, first of all, I never attack my LDS friends on their faith. I completely respect that. But what I do challenge them on is their, um, I guess, what the church has taught as the their interpretation of the Constitution and another statement that the Constitution is divine. I'm not going to argue on that point. If, however, you are of the mindset that the Constitution is on a par with the Ten Commandments, and I've heard it described as such— you, more than me, should take particular offense when a candidate comes out wanting your vote, claiming she's a constitutional conservative, and then goes and shreds it. So I think it is up to my LDS friends to really lead the charge here instead of defending her.
1: No, I'm, I'm with you. And, and, and for the record, I am LDS. I do believe that there was a divine component in the constitution. Now it's that's, it's still, it's a document of men, but I I think God raised up the men who helped frame that document um, for, for a very important purpose. And and I'll, I'll go so far as to say, I think that I think there are people today LDS and not LDS who likewise, I feel God has raised up at a crucial time when, when freedom is, is on the altar, so to speak to, to be its defenders. But uh, I, I share the frustration and I, uh, sadly i see this with you know some of my my fellow church members i i see them embracing statism um with a sense of but this is you know what everybody else is doing so it must be okay and and it makes me sad because it's it's clear that at some level they really haven't looked into it on their own
2: exactly and the 10th amendment was really supposed to be the cornerstone of guaranteeing our liberty because the states would also have the right to uh, to uh, abs- just say no. That was Mike Meharry's book, Just Say No, about nullification. And when we have somebody coming in here saying that we're going to have anarchy unless the federal government completely tramples over the states, maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but with regards to Chicago, that's exactly what she's saying. Uh, the the members who, who feel that this is divinely inspired and that this is on a part of the Tenth Amendment should really, or to the Ten Commandments, should really take exception. But they're not going to unless they fully understand the truly limiting nature that the Constitution was supposed to be. Instead, now it's become a, a nationalized version and we can thank people like Mark Levin, Dinesh D'Souza, the revisionist you know, teachings of what Lincoln did. He's hailed as a Harrow, my article, The Church of National Government, I explain that. George Orwell, I quote him in that article, has a fantastic quote. I took it from his essay where he actually differentiates um, and explains what, why patriotism and nationalism are two different things. And nationalism, I don't mean white supremacy.
1: Right. How did that become synonymous? With, with, how did those terms become synonymous? That's got uh, some kind of subterfuge. <laughs>
2: Yeah, really. But again, he really explains that patriotism is defensive in nature and doesn't seek to force its values on others. Where nationalism, it really does. And you really give your government officials a pass as long as once again, they have the label that you want, be it a D or an R.
1: I love it. We're, we're coming up on our break here in about 30 seconds. Suzanne Sherman is my guest. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Joe Carey. Um, one thing, you know, you mentioned patriotism. I hearken back to, to the great Joseph Sobran. I assume you're probably familiar with him and his writings. Yeah, I'm not. There's... Oh, Suzanne. <laughs> he's he's deceased now. He passed away back in 2010. Um, but there there's an archive of his writings online. I think it's just Sobran.com, S-O-B-R-A-N. This is you would be simpatico with this guy. He, uh, he is remarkable, but he, he talked about how patriotism, one of the essential components that distinguishes it from nationalism, is humility. And oh, that's, I- We don't see lots of that today, do we?
2: No, Maga.
1: No. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> You're gonna stand up for that flag, or I'm gonna kick that chair out from under you. Milo Yiannopoulos yes. had a video about that, and all the veterans cheered. I'm thinking, wait, I thought you fought for our freedom. I'm, I'm a little confused
1: here. Okay, we got to take a quick break. Suzanne Sherman is my guest. This is the Joe Kerry Show. We'll be back. are listening to The Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Joe. My guest host is Suzanne Sherman, and we are talking about stuff, really important stuff, stuff on which our freedom hinges, although, you know, people sometimes uh, take offense because uh, we might take a, a little different point of view. Suzanne, I think the conundrum that, that we face here is we want to help introduce people to correct principles and practices, and we're not saying we have all the answers, but when you point something out, like you, you saw earlier this week, you, you were holding Mary Burkett to account for some questions that you were asking about her stances on various issues. Sometimes people see that as, as, well, you're just being self-righteous or you're you're telling me I'm wrong and, man, the shields go up. How do we overcome that? Is there a nice way to to show people the light without coming off and say, I'm better than you?
2: Well, what we can control is how we present our Our points of view. And, you know, yeah, we were kind of rushed on some of the things with her, but I think we were respectful and I tried to put her views in the best light possible. But some people really need to overcome, you know, their their biases. And I was accused of being biased. And all I asked was, please clarify your positions here. And when I Kept asking her more questions. I was accused of, you know, again, having my mind made up. It was up to her to change my mind based on what she already said. That being said, I think you do a fantastic job of keeping the conversation civil. I think I did as well. Her her supporter said I didn't, but that's fair enough. That's their opinion. And I, I think Presenting it in the manner you do, and I try to now, I've, I've toned it down a little bit because I realize that you can get a lot more people by not mocking them. I try to now mock the system and not opposing ideas, and you bring a lot more people in. Another thing that I personally try to do, and I know you do it there, is when I'm on the air, my shows are family friendly. I don't curse, I think that uh, nobody will turn you off for not cursing, but you will lose a lot of people by doing it. So, you know, model what you would like to see our, our government officials do. I don't want my government officials cursing at me, so I'm not going to curse at them and I want to keep it civil, but I want people to also think about just digging a little bit deeper, asking questions like, well, you know, if you support a constitutional amendment on flag burning, and I'm not saying she does, ask yourself, what's the purpose of that flag if you can't burn it? Particularly, if it's your own, I don't advocate destroying other people's property. Sure. So, you know, we need to dig a little bit deeper, and these are some of the questions that I put forth again in that article: the church of national government that got a lot of people upset.
1: Well i i have a, I have a pretty strong sarcastic streak. I try not to let it show too much, but if there is one thing that has helped me over the years in in trying to open minds that have, have been closed up like a steel trap. I've had to have I've had to learn how to lose the need to win, and that's mm-hmm. hard, especially if somebody's questioning your intelligence and you're like, hey, I, but I I know the answer here. Oh, you don't know anything, and they're calling names and they're you know they're raining down thunder and brimstone on you. Um, it's really hard to to be humble and say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and walk away now. But thanks for the conversation and and let them come to the truth on their own terms. I've seen it happen though when when I didn't try to beat them into submission. For whatever reason, that leaves a door open, however small, where they, they at least know, well, you know, Brian's as full of it as a Christmas goose, but at least I can come back and talk to him at some point because he hasn't tried to submit me.
2: Yeah. And, and giving the people the information, historically ironclad information, not just your opinions. So I will leave somebody with links, not just to my own articles, but to the the, the articles of people I really respect. I'll send them the books, um, you know, and quote historians, quote the founders. I tell people, don't look to the Supreme Court, look to the ratification records. You've got to break away of, of lending this credence to the black rogue messiahs who issue opinions, but you've elevated them to the law of the land that was never how you know this was intended to be. And with regards to well, you know, no, no uh, politician is perfect. We want to just get the right one. We've essentially come into a two-party system, but they're both the party of big government. So essentially, we really are a one-party system with just some, uh, you know. Rhetorical differences. Clyde Wilson in his book Nullification, reclaiming the consent of the government, had a fantastic uh, uh, paragraph in here. I'm going to just share a quote. The founding fathers did not anticipate the ravages of the two-party system and its ability to foist Cunning mediocrities (laughs) on the public. Almost all of our leaders are now the creatures of political parties, which means they are more adept at winning offices than at filling them, at conniving and self-promotion than at statesmanship. And it's not just Mary's website I saw this, but any politician. Look at the, you know, watch the elections, listen to them if you can stomach it. And that is what you get. So when you watch the elections for either side, that's what you're going to hear.
1: So let me let me take this in a slightly different direction here. Um, it sounds like you have a pretty strong distaste for politics generally, as as I do as well. What are some of the things outside of looking to some candidate to save us? What are some things we can be doing in in your opinion? What Where's our time better spent? Our moral energy better spent?
2: I think our moral energy, I think we should all be talking about the proper role of government but I think we should also try to save the outrage don't get into these long-winded articles, uh, arguments on social media, put the information out there and also have some sort of a break. I, I found when I lived in California and I was just surrounded by this and seeing the results of their policies and how it was really affecting our quality of life even in our homes I decided to up and leave. I I I call it, you know, secession can be at a personal level all the way to statehood, leaving the general government. So I first thing I did was I took my boys out of school. I started homeschooling them. I decided to leave California and find a place where even if Utah is to fall or everything goes bad, I'm in the mountains. I found a place that I could live a more self-reliant lifestyle, which is why I'm such a huge advocate of being prepared and self-reliant. Because as as we closed the show and said if, if big government is allowed to continue the path we're going, go to my website and get that disaster preparedness book because you're going to need it.
1: Okay, I think that's sound advice. Now look, if there's anybody wants to offer their two cents, you've got about uh, three minutes to make it happen. 801-331-8113. I love having these conversations, Suzanne, and I hope it doesn't just sound like, well, here we are in our ivory tower, lording it over everybody. Um, You've had to pay a price to understand what you understand. Um, Would you say you're still a work in progress?
2: I think we all are. If anybody calls themselves an expert and thinks they know it all, that's that's the point where you stop listening to them. OK, yeah, I'm, I'm there,
1: too. I, I sometimes I'm a little bit ashamed at what I believed to be true and held, you know, held on to for dear life. But over time, I've had wonderful mentors who. Who have come into my life, their orbit you know, coincided with my own, and uh, they taught me things that I didn't understand before, or clarified things that I partially understood. And I think our goal is not only to, to seek out those kind of people and, and to learn where the opportunity is given, but to recognize we also have a duty to do the same for others who are a few steps behind us in slogging their way out of that swamp of misinformation.
2: And, and do so in a manner that doesn't shame or embarrass them because then we're going to turn them off and by not mocking them. there There's an article here by the Burning Platform called Mr. Sociopath Goes to Washington. And no, I'm not calling Mary a sociopath. But what I'm saying here is... Uh, think about this as the election cycle is coming along here. They say that sociopaths are great liars who have a desire to control people. Politics is the nexus of both the sociopath's strength and desire. Republican or Democrat, it matters not. The sociopath can lie their way through any election. Call these folks out on their inconsistencies. If somebody says I am a constitutional conservative and by golly I'm going to fight for national reciprocity, so whoa, 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 back up the truck. (laughs) <laughs> you are you are you are not a constitutional conservative at least be honest so we can get back to even understanding what that means
1: i think too we're going to have to make a decision sometime in the next year or so as as the election cycle builds to its uh, climactic conclusion uh we're, we're already seeing the battle lines being drawn between it's the racist versus the socialist do you really well, want, do you really want to be a part of that circus
2: This is what I was told the other day. You know, the stuff that you talk about goes in one ear and out the other. What we need to do is focus on beating the socialists. Okay, so we're going to hand over government to the socialists because it has an R. Think about how much of our lives are not controlled by governments. I would say that we're about 90 percent there, if not more.
1: No. And that's that's the connection that I am just praying more Republicans can start to make. Look, I'm happy it's not Hillary Clinton in the White House. I didn't vote for Donald Trump, but I did feel a sense of relief when he took office. But we're not getting any closer to freedom. And you got to recognize Republican flavored socialism still is socialism.
2: It's never been more difficult to purchase a firearm, keep firearm accessories, or keep your firearm than it has been under this Republican controlled administration and Congress up till we lost the House.
1: Okay, great conversation as always, Suzanne. Thank you for your time. People go to her website, SuzanneCSherman.com. Let's do this again soon.
2: Love to. Thanks for having me.
1: Very happy to have you. This is the Joe Carey Show. I'm Brian Hyde filling in for Joe. Stand by Ammon Bundy has the Liberty Effect after news.
0: credible thoughtful discussion without the partisan
1: outrage this is the loving liberty radio network